This is RJ Carbone, and you're listening to BD4. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes this down. one by Mattingly. Oh, hang on to it. RJ Barrett does it again from downtown. He is just tearing the Orioles apart. It's good. It's good. Randall gets the bounce, and he ties the game. Houston ducks under. Got it. All right, what's happening everybody? What is going on? I'm your host, RJ Carbone, and this is episode 310 of BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. And we also do MMA now too. In fact, this episode, we're going to be talking a lot of MMA as well as the Knicks. Now, this specific opening segment of the show that you are listening to right now, pay attention to this because it's important. This part, this introductory segment is being recorded Thursday, January 20th at 5 p.m. as I speak. So this is actually before the Knicks-Pelicans play tonight. So I'm going to record the MMA segment segment right now. I want to preview UFC 270. And then once the Knicks play, we'll add that segment in, which hasn't obviously been recorded yet as I am speaking. But, you know, as you're listening to this, none of this matters. But yeah, just want to make that clear. So the Knicks have not played yet as I speak, but as you are listening to this podcast, obviously they've played um, and, you know, we're good. But this opening segment of the show, I do want to preview and talk about, let's discuss it, man, the upcoming UFC 270 event, which is just two days away. We've got tomorrow, Friday, and then Saturday night. That's the night. Saturday, MMA Saturday, UFC 270. So I want to talk about this. And at the end, I'll give my predictions. Yeah, it's going to be, I am so thrilled for this thing. I'm so freaking thrilled. Oh, man. You know, we had the opening fight card last week. It was a fight night card. And uh, that was good. That was a good main event. It was a hell of a main event with um, Cater and Shikatsu. So if you want to check out my re- my thoughts on that, I, I recap I recap that in my uh, MMA Saturday episode a few episodes ago. So check that out. It's on my website, on YouTube, or on any other of the platforms. This podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. So subscribe, download, do all that stuff. Share it with your friends. But I want to get to this UFC 270 preview. I want to talk about it, man. Because I'm thrilled for it, and you should be too. So let's head to our first break. We'll get through the plug. When we get back, we'll talk some MMA. Hey, guys. So I've noticed that only a small portion of you who watch BD4 on YouTube are actually subscribed. So if you do enjoy this podcast and maybe you want to be notified when new episodes release, I'd consider subscribing 
and also hitting that notification bell. This way we can help the channel grow and you won't miss a single episode of BD4. Alright, let's get back to it. Alright, man. Alright. So obviously the first event, or I'm sorry, obviously the main event on the card, on the UFC 270 card, is Francis Naganu, 16 and 3, versus Sirogan, 10 and 0. And this is for the undisputed heavyweight title belt. Belt. It's a bout for the belt. But, you know, obviously the, the Naganu's in Francis Ngannou has the championship belt and Sirogan has the interim belt. But it's going to be a classic. I think it's going to be, I, I think they're setting this up for a really, really good show. I think this fight will definitely live up to the hype. You've got technique versus power, right? Gan is known for his, his skillsy work. He's got excellent footwork. He's very agile. A lot of people say he moves like a welterweight. And he's a big dude too. Don't forget, you know, everybody talks about Nganu being big, but Cyril Gan, you know, he can move for a big dude. So he's a high IQ fighter with a very well-rounded game. Got a couple of subs, a couple of knockouts, and a couple of the decisions. So he's won in a variety of ways already. And then we've got Francis, who obviously packs a very powerful punch. But he also displayed some very impressive takedown defense and, and, and grappling in his last fight. On that 260 card versus Stipe. Or Stipe, as Nate Diaz would say. So, you know, also pretty impressive. To, to have that takedown defense and, and that grappling skills that he displayed against Stipe for a big heavyweight dude like himself. He's known for finishing, though. Only two fights Ngannou has taken, has went the distance in, and he lost both of those. But, you know, this is a dude who can finish you at any moment because all it takes is one punch from him. And he's got 25 minutes to do so. And he's in impeccable shape. So, I'm curious though, man. Because I'm looking at the the odds. A lot of people, Vegas, hyping up Sirogan to win this thing as the favorite. When has the champion ever been the underdog? Really, in, all, in, in any sport. You don't see that often where the defending champion is the underdog in a fight. Maybe it's not that crazy because he's not the undisputed champion, but he's still a champion. It's interesting. I feel like a lot of people are underestimating Francis uh, just because he's kind of got some distractions right now. Now, I don't know if that's going to affect him, but there are there. You know, there is the whole thing about his UFC contract. Will this be the last time he steps into the octagon? You know, he he's had Tyson Fury calling him out. Boxing. All that while having to prep for the toughest test of his 20-fight MMA career coming up. 
And on the other side, you got Cyril Gaon riding high right now. Not that Francis isn't. But Cyril Gaon's coming off a three KO streak against some pretty big name fighters too. Knocking out Derek Lewis, Alexander Volkov, uh, Rosenstrike. So it's going to be a fun one. And then when you add in the, you know, I guess you could call it drama. I guess it's not big, but it's, you know, it's it's not much. Uh, but both fighters have clarified, you know, that that it wasn't as big as the media made it out to be. Uh, Cyril Gaon was talking to DC and you had Francis um, in an interview to Mego Levy. But, you know, obviously Cyril and Francis spar together at the same gym at the MMA factory beneath coach uh, Fernand Lopez. There's the whole clip, you know, in New York when Francis walked right by Gone, right by Lopez, uh, just completely ghosting them. You know, Gone's face, Cyril Gone, his face was priceless. He was just so confused. I felt bad for the guy. But, um, you know, it's something. He walks right by them both, not even acknowledging them. And um, there's also, you know, a little subtle trash talk and throwing some jabs at each other verbally. Uh, Gon's team releasing the tape of them sparring together where Gon's getting some good hits in on him. Some elbows and Francis fires back in that UFC embedded episode. I think it's episode two saying how they didn't release the, the part of the tape where he knocks Cyril Gon out or down. Francis then calling the interim title at the end of that episode a complete joke. Uh, a lot of people thought he was calling Cyril Gaon a complete joke, but I think the accent, Francis's accent, sounded like it was he. But he was saying it was a joke. It is a joke. Referring to the, the interim belt. And the way he says it, it sounds like it can be misinterpreted as he. But I'm pretty sure he was... But still, it's it's building some fight hype, right? And then with DC the other day, Cyril Gaon clarifying that they're not friends he was asking he said no we're not friends and I think I recall Francis saying something similar to Olivi uh, we were never close and how it was a whole media thing so there's still some fuel to it you know it's, it's not like they were best friends which was what everybody was saying at first um, that's what they tried to make you think building that fight hype but it's still gonna be very very hyped it, it is very hyped up it's still added some heat Right, it's going to generate that revenue. It's going to be a huge draw, I'm sure, on Saturday night in Anaheim. Um, but if I were to pick, I'm rooting for Cyril Gan. I am. So I don't necessarily think he's going to win, but I'm going to put some money down on him, and I'm going to say Cyril Gan, just because my heart's going to going to. I'm going against the, uh, I'm committing a cardinal sin here. I'm using my heart over my brain. And I'm just going to put down a couple bucks on Cyril Gaon. Um, let's see. I'll say Gaon defeats him via decision after five rounds of, of hell between both of them. That's what we'll go with. I see he outlasts him. I think, I think Francis runs out of gas. You know, he's only won the distance twice in 20 fights. Well, this will be his 20th fight. But, um, 
that's going to be my prediction for UFC 270, the main event. I want to talk about, real quickly, this, this uh, co-main event. Uh, let's head to break. When we get back, we'll go over this co-main event between Brandon Marino and Davison Figueredo. Stay with us, guys. We'll be right back. So, if you guys want to follow me on social media, be sure to do so right now. I'm on Facebook at RJ Carbone. And I'm also on Instagram at Rob J Carbone. Once again, if you want to find me on Facebook, that is R J Carbone. Instagram at Rob J Carbone. This one is one I'm thrilled for too, man. I really am. I am very excited to see this fight. Um, Brandon Marino. 19-5-2. Versus Davison Figueredo. 22-1. Going for the flyweight title. Marino defending the belt that he took from Figueredo. You know, the first fight between these two fighters, very evenly matched, hence hence the draw. The second fight was completely different. Brandon Marino came out with a vengeance and completely dominated, getting the third round submission. I was looking at the numbers just before. He had a 47-24 significant strike advantage. And he also had 3 minutes and 19 seconds more of ground control. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. I think... I'm rooting for Brandon. I'm definitely rooting for Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Um... But, you know, Davison's a good fighter, too. He's terrifying. He said he was going to rip Brandon's head off. <laughs> and obviously he's got um, shit-talking Henry Cejudo in his camp now. By the way, those UFC embedded episodes, those little vlogs, pretty good. I have to finish watching the third one and then I have to watch the fourth episode which came out earlier today. So yeah, I'm pulling for Gon. Um, pulling for Brandon Marino. Two very likable dudes. These are two dudes who you gotta love their energy, man. Especially Brandon. But they're both just such happy fellas. They're just very happy. They enjoy, it looks like just they, they, they enjoy life. Both really good humans. They both seem like. I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for both of them. I really am. I don't know too much about Brandon's fighting game. I'm not going to lie to you and say I do. I don't know about his style. But I do know he's a good fighter. And I do know that there's a very good chance he wins. 
believe he's the favorite. I believe he is. So I'm going to go gone by, by decision after five rounds, and I'm going to go Brandon Marino. Submission again. I'm going to go Brandon Marino submission in the fourth round. Okay. I'll probably be completely off on both of these, but that's going to be my picks. I'm going to parlay those two to those two picks together if I can and um, hopefully win some cash. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be fun. I'm so excited, man. Now we don't know a lot about I don't know anything really about the other fights on the main card. Um, I don't know anything about the undercard. I'm going to be watching the whole thing. But I don't know any of the names. Uh, there's a Nurmagomedov on there. But he's not related to Habib in any way. But can I just say I love this sport, man. I, I love this freaking sport. It's one of those things where... It's like an if you know, you know kind of thing, right? If you're into it, you're into it. And if you're not, you have no legs to stand on to bash it. You have to know and be into UFC to understand the true beauty of it. It's so fun. It's so intriguing. But it's real, dude. It's real. You can't play fighting. So let's get to the next segment of the show where, as you're listening to this, the next game will be over. And we'll be talking about next. So... Let's head to our break. And when we get back from break, we'll start talking Knicks and we'll be reviewing this Knicks Pelicans game. All right. Let's get to it. So BD4 is on so many platforms to listen to. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can find us on our sponsor, Anchor, and many other listening platforms as well, wherever you get your podcasts. But we are also available to watch on YouTube. So if you want to watch us on YouTube, go subscribe there. But if you prefer to listen to us, again, many, many, many listening platforms. Just be sure to subscribe, download, give us a rating, a review, comment, share the podcast, and all that fun stuff. This is BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. All right, so here's the thing. First off, um, this is the second part of this Knicks slash MMA episode, and we're gonna we're gonna go over this this recent Knicks loss to the Pelicans. Now, my uh, my software, my video recording software that I use is OBS Studios. That's the, the software I use for my video recording. And that's going really slow, and it's choppy tonight, and I am a little impatient with it. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not friggin' gonna try to spend my entire night trying to fix it. 
So this segment of the episode, um, just for this episode, is going to be audio only. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast already as a regular on iTunes or any other listening platforms, this means nothing to you. But if you watch the podcast often, this segment of the show, as you can see, um, is, is going to be audio because I can't get my video recording software to cooperate tonight. Um, now, that having said, let's... Oh, shall we? I mean, shall we? Let's talk about this recent... You know, it's funny, man. Because... It... I, I I think I said it in the last Knicks loss, the last episode um, of the Knicks. It was the worst loss of the season. And this is... We say this again and again and again and again and again and again. And here I am saying it once more. This, and, and you know, Alan Hahn said it on the telecast in the post game. This feels like rock bottom. And then Wally, positive Wally, you know, goes, you know, rock bottom could be even worse. It could always get worse. And I'm not even, I'm not even disagreeing with that one. Got to agree, got to agree with positive Wally there. This was ugly, dude. And this was supposed to be a game. Uh, I'm sorry. This was supposed to. Well, yeah, it was. But this was supposed to be a stretch of games for the Knicks where they could have taken that next leap. They were playing hot basketball, entering this homestand, dude. They were playing good basketball. They were a game or two, maybe above 500, was it? And then they had this four game stretch coming up at the time against four very beatable teams couple 500 teams and the Pelicans, the worst of the four we're ever going to see in this stretch, a, a team who was well out of it, 16 wins on the year without their best player. And we go out there and embarrass ourselves. And once again, the 102 to 91 score does not even dictate how pathetic the Knicks effort or lack thereof was. 15 more turnovers tonight, which turned into 19 Pelicans points. We shot an abysmal 23% on three-point shots, uh, 67% at the foul line. There was absolutely no ball movement, which I don't even know how we ended with 21 assists, which is below average, but still felt like a lot more than we were passing. The bench was pretty horrendous. Alec Burks continues to miss everything he takes. Emmanuel quickly is just struggling without Derrick Rose right now. Not doing well in this on-ball role consistently enough. The starters tonight, outside of RJ, maybe had some moments, and Mitchell Robinson, who was tremendous with 17 and 15. Outside of those two guys, the starters, Randall, Fournier, Walker, absolutely horrendous. And you look at the plus-minuses, they were all minus 20, minus 20, minus 20, something, something. Mitch, minus one. So considering everybody else played so bad, for Mitch to have a minus one tells you a lot. And he put in some good effort tonight. So credit to Mitch and RJ had some moments. But man, I'm not even focusing on the great tonight, on, on, on the positives. There was no great tonight, on the positives. Because Julius Randle had four points. Big night, great job. Four points from their leader. The Knicks are in 11th place. They're 22-24. and 24. Say goodbye to the number six seed because Cleveland is running away with it. 
They're an actual good team. We are playing at best a play-in by the end of the year. And even if we do somehow manage to win that play-in game, play-in tournament, even if we win both or one, depending on where we land, we're not getting past that first round. So even if we make the plan, this season is a failure. Because we were supposed to build off that fourth seed and maybe win a playoff series this time around. This is not the team to do that. None of that is happening. Not both. Neither of that. We're not getting the fourth seed. And I don't see us winning a playoff series. Let alone right now the way we're playing. I don't even think we deserve to get there. I'm looking at the front office here, the way this season has gone. They botched free agency, point guards, wings, you know, Lonzo, DeRozan went to Chicago, both of them. And they they, they think they can, they threw Randall a contract a year early when they did not need to. Now, I was for it. A lot of people were for it. I get it that, you know, he had this great season. It's kind of a courtesy to do this. Would have been bad press if they didn't. But it's looking pretty bad in this Randall situation. And you can certainly call it a situation right now. I mean, this guy is mentally checked out. He's not there. And he hasn't been for a while. He's a mentally weak player. He's way too sensitive, way too emotional to be an alpha of any ball club. And honestly, at this point, I can definitely sit here and say that I believe last season was a fluke due to the COVID season playing without a crowd. I think that really did help him. Because the signs are all there. As soon as the crowd, the fans did return to the arena, he started playing poor in the playoffs. Look at this season. He's letting the fans affect the shit out of him. The whole thumbs down thing. He's going back and forth with the fans. He cannot handle this role, man. He can't handle a packed arena. Some players just don't have it, unfortunately. His body language is horrible. He's moping with his head down. You know, complaining with officials instead of getting back and playing defense. Because he thinks he gets fouled every single play. Apparently, Julius Randle has never committed a foul this season. And apparently, every time he drives, he gets fouled. First off, what are you complaining to the officials about? And it's not just Randle. It's all these guys. But he is the leader. What are you complaining to them about? Because tonight, you had 19 free throws in the first half. New Orleans had five. Overall, you had 36 free throw attempts as a, Knicks te- as a team. New Orleans had 22. Not to mention, when you get there, you miss half of those things. We don't even hit our free throws. And we're complaining to zebras because we want more free throws. Dude, you just hit a buzzer beater at the half or at the end of the quarter. Which was it? The first? No, the second quarter. Yeah. Kemba just got a technical and now you're going to make it worse and get one yourself entering the half. So the Pelicans get to start the second half with an extra point. Stop complaining. Man up and channel that energy out on the court instead. 
not to the officials, not to your teammates, because I see you blaming your teammates looking at them after missing defensive rotations when you just missed one a possession prior. You're not even getting half past half court at times. You don't even run. You don't sprint. You jog at best, dude. I saw a tweet tonight from Fred Katz, Knicks reporter. Blew my mind. Because I haven't been patient enough to watch these press conferences after the game. I don't care less anymore. But the tweet said it's been seven consecutive games now. Seven consecutive games. I did not know this. Where Julius Randle has hid from the media after. He hasn't spoken to the media in a post-game presser for seven consecutive games now. Instead, R.J. Barrett has to go up there and face the music for him. And you guys want me to call him a leader? You want me to call Julius Randle a leader? He can't even face the media? Shit like that makes me miss Carmelo Anthony. Melo was my guy, but man, did I get frustrated with him at the end. But at least he manned up and spoke to the media. Not to mention he didn't tell his fans to F off. And they gave him crap a lot on a nightly basis. This guy heard it during those 7 for 25 games he had. But he faced it every night in the media. Even we mentioned this before. Giancarlo Stanton with the Yankees gets booed all the time after his four or five strikeout games. He faces it in the media. Although uh, there was that one postseason game where he, he disappeared. And I'll hold him to that. But for the most part, he's facing the media. Seven games in a row for Randall without even facing it. Who does this guy think he is though, man? Like, who do you think you are, dude? Seriously. You have one good season in a fake year. And now you think you're some superstar who deserves all these foul calls and you think you're entitled to never get booed? My guy, we literally gave you MVP chance last season. You were not getting MVP chance in any other building. We treated you so well when you gave your effort. That's all it is. You gotta give your all. You just stole $117 million from my favorite franchise, and now you're playing like garbage, not even putting in 100% effort, and you expect us to sit there and cheerlead for you? No. And this is on Thibodeau, too, let's be honest, for failing to hold this guy accountable. He lets him do whatever the hell he wants on the court. Plays him as many minutes as Julius wants. He never calls him out to the media. Instead, he backs him up excessively and makes excuses for him while he calls out other guys like R.J. Barrett. I mean, this team had the fourth seed last year. They played defense. They showed up every single night. Win or lose, they were in the games. 90% of the time. Now they're the 11th seed. They're under 500. They can't win at home because the fans are in the stands. The team isn't showing up for a lot of these games. Don't even bother showing up. I'm just saying, head coaches usually don't last long after things like this happen one year to the next. I'm just saying. 
He's had such a bad year, Thibodeau. I'm sorry. I like the guy, but he has not had a good year. 46 games into the season. Still refuses to make adjustments. 46 games in. The data is large enough at this point to indicate to you that you should probably be shaking some things up. The starters coming out slow in the first quarter and in the third quarter on a nightly basis. Shake it up. The team plays better when R.J. Barrett's initiating the offense as the number one playmaker. Shake it up. Look at what happened. R.J. goes on a very nice run. He's getting the on-ball reps. Campbell Walker comes back. Now R.J.'s back to his complimentary spot-up role as to this floor spacer in the corner. This is your number three pick. You drafted him number three in the draft. You tank an entire year to get Zion, but to get this number three pick. And you're letting him play second fiddle to a to a guy who's a third fiddle on any other team. Any decent team, I should say. Taj Gibson was playing in this game in the second half. We're down 20, 25 points. He's still playing out there. What good is that? The guy's 37, 36 years old. Why not get a look at Jericho Sims? Let Obi Toppin run out there. Why not? They can't get some some burn there? See what you have in them? Get the crowd going at least? Maybe we can get back in this? I mean, we kind of had that fake run at the end of the fourth when they were in there. OBIQ and the rest of the bench. I mean, come on. Take a friggin' risk. Make an adjustment. The data says that things are not working with what you're doing. The sample size is large at this point. Campbell was getting fried out there in the second half. You kept him in for eight consecutive minutes. It's all shit like this that's repetitive. Game after game after game, we see it. It's developing a bad culture, a bad atmosphere right now. Dude, the crowd is out here chanting Obi Toppin's name when Julius Randle is shooting free throws at the line, bro. There's such a negative energy going on. It's embarrassing if you're Randle, man. Your backup's making four or five million dollars and is favored over you by your own fans because you started some shit a couple nights ago when they booed you. Oh, boo-hoo. Watching this team play is just so lackluster. There's no game plan. There's no playbook by Thibodeau. We're so unathletic. Three straight teams running all over us. Ran us out the gym. While we miss free throws, turn it over, and they turn those into transition buckets. And we run out a slow lineup with Randall, Fournier, slow-footed Taj Gibson out there. I mean, come on. Shake it up, dude. Shake it up. Which, by the way, the latest bum to roast us tonight was this kid, Jose Alvarado, who I've never heard of. Jose Alvarado, never heard of him. Sounds like some dude who should be selling mangoes in the corner. But put him up there with the rest of the randoms who go off on us. Like the kid Noel the other night in the fourth quarter. Like Ish Smith, like all these other guys. Three straight losses at home against some beatable-ass teams. This was to the Pelicans, man. The Pelicans, and we can't even put up a good competitive game. Yes, we're still technically in it, but let's be real. Let's not let's 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 cut the shit. Stop delaying the inevitable. And let's say what this team truly is. They're pretenders. They were pretenders last year. This year, they, they... I don't know how you're still high on this team right now. There are a lot of things 
they need to do. They, they, I don't know what they're going to do with the deadline. Maybe we'll designate another episode to, to where we're talking about trades, but I think I'm going to cut this one short. I'm really tired, <laughs> and I'm just exhausted from that loss. I, I need a break. Um, let's get to the... Uh, the NYYMYK MMA question of the day. It's an MMA question tonight, so let's get to it. It's time! All right, so let's just wrap this thing up with the NYY NYK question of the day. I'm sorry, the NYY, NYK, MMA question of the day, because that's in here now in these episodes too. Um, this episode, <clears throat> excuse me, this episode, our NYY, NYK, MMA question of the day for episode 310. At age 23, who became the youngest light heavyweight champion in UFC history? At age 23, who became the youngest light heavyweight champion in the history of the UFC promotion. Let me know the answer on Facebook or Instagram in my comment section once I publish the promo or in my DMs. And I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. Guys, that is it. I'm done. <laughs> God, I am glad that we get a break from the Knicks until Sunday. So that's it for me. All right. That's it. That's it. That's it. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate all the support, everything. And I'll see you then. Um, so we'll probably have the next episode out. Sunday or Monday night around that. We'll talk about the Knicks and uh, we'll review the UFC 270 card, which takes place Saturday night. All right, guys. See you next time. Ciao. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor. It's the best way to make a podcast. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm.